When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey everyone, Happy New Year. Just wanted to give you all a heads up that for the first portion of today's episode, you will be hearing an evergreen segment that Alan and I did back in December, where we talk about Anthony Davis as a whole, how we felt about his play this season, and how we view him as a cornerstone superstar moving forward, even post-LeBron. After that segment with Alan, you will hear my most recent thoughts on the Lakers' mini three-game win streak, Uptown Monk, THT, but most of all, in conjunction with our talk on Anthony Davis and how we're currently missing one of our biggest and most important pieces on both ends, you will also hear me make the case for the Lakers standing relatively pat this trade deadline and why opting to make moves on the margins instead may make the most sense. And then I'll even share some of my thoughts on minor moves that the Lakers can make. So make sure to stick around for both segments. And yeah, with that said, please enjoy the latest Lakers Legacy podcast. And now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, hey, I don't know about you, I'm feeling 2022, the Taylor Swift song. Okay, now this... You're such a Swifty, dude. I know. So, Alan, now this is legitimately a new turning point for the Lakers, because it's the new year. Get it? Happy New Year! New year, new turning point, hoping for some ones that actually stick. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Riley. Uh, this is past Jonathan and past Alan hopping into the 2022nd future slash present to you to bring you another quick, brisk micropod because we are currently in the present, still on hiatus, on holiday break, a necessary one given the tumultuous bipolar nature of this season. And if you're watching on video, you're probably like, why are you wearing the same clothes yeah, y'all that you don't were wearing? Have any other clothes. <laughs> <know>. Sloppy. <laughs> it's because we pre-recorded this episode, but it's a still relevant episode because we're going to be talking about the one and only The Brow Anthony Davis. Obviously, we won't be talking about anything too time sensitive and relevant to what's going on with the Lakers currently in this first week of January. Although I may have a part two segment right after this where I go over the most recent game or two solo, but we'll see. At least for this first segment with Alan, let's talk all things Anthony Davis and how you've personally felt about him this season from your vantage point, because I'm sure you've heard all the murmurs and complaints about Anthony Davis some praises on the other side of things, but let's go micro first, Alan. We'll talk about how he's looked this season, and then let's do some macro talk after the break where we talk about, is, uh, what do you think about Anthony Davis and moving forward with this guy, right? So, Alan, give me your honest opinion on how you feel like Anthony Davis has looked this season 
And maybe if you, especially if you compare it to last season where, I mean, let's just be real, he coasted a little bit. Maybe that's because of how strenuous the bubble was, but he coasted. This year, he came back bulkier. Um, his energy has waned here and there, maybe because of that bulk, who knows, or maybe it's just that time of the season where he's sort of hitting a wall and he's had to shoulder a lot of the burden defensively and all that stuff, right? Um, his three-point shot has left him this season, but he has had a huge uptick in points in the paint. He's leading the league in that category for much of the season. So there's a lot of, like, in the aggregate, it could go either way, right? But from your personal vantage point, what have you felt from Anthony Davis as a number two, a, a 1A? Yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, he he has received a lot of slander. <laughs> um most prominently from, you know, like the the national media. A lot of really loud voices have been calling him out and uh I do the voice. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> how how have they been calling him out and who have who has been calling him out? <laughs> Let me tell you something, man. First of all, Anthony Davis has got to be dominant. But he has not been that at all. Okay, so first of all, you got to get his head out his ass. <laughs> tell him, Shaq. <laughs> Make him barbecue chicken. So, yeah, it's Charles Barkley, you know, basically assaulting AD's, like, manhood and uh, just really lighting him up um, several weeks ago. Um, does AD look a bit lackadaisical, to use one of Shaq's favorite SAT words, but Shaq would always say lackadaisical. I always remember that as a kid. <laughs> Too lackadaisical out there. <laughs> but um, at times, yeah, he is just from the eye test, right? Like lacking energy, I would say. Um, but it's it's ironic because, like you said, he's leading the league in points in the paint, which you would not associate that with playing kind of lazy. You would think, oh, he's settling for a lot of outside shots and, you know, he's not shooting a great percentage, but that doesn't mean that that's where he's camping out and living, right? Um, we always want to clamor for AD to go get his butt in the post and do work down there. And like you said, he is scoring a lot in the paint. Are there times where he could be more assertive, not get pushed off the block as much and, you know, thing, things that we've talked about a lot? Sure. But... I think that it's been hyperbolized just a little bit, and that's not coming from a Homer type of you know point of view. If anything, we tend to be the most critical. Um, you know, you mentioned his size, his bulk, and I know that I said, "Dude, this guy looks freaking huge during the preseason." I mean, we're not physical therapists, we're not doctors, we're not trainers, whatever. Um, might it be possible that the extra weight that he put on is hampering some of his? explosiveness and I mean how many times has he been stuffed and just blocked right at the rim and we don't usually see that it's not that like oh wow he's not jumping as high it's he's not as quick right we always you always hear about that second effort first and second like jumps real quick off of offensive rebounds or whatever I feel like we've never seen AD just get absolutely stuffed the way that he has this year um and is that a lack of effort like no absolutely not I mean it, when you're in that position you're just going as as high and as fast and as hard as you can if it's just not uh, what we're used to. I don't know. Maybe there is something else going on that we can't really explain. Um, I think that he shows flashes, of course. Like, he'll he'll have his patented closeout on the three-point shooter, blocked a shot, 
you know, a la like Zion when he was at Duke against Virginia. There's that one highlight where Zion jumps from like the freaking free throw line all the way to like the corner <laughs> of the court and blocks the guy's three pointer. Like AD has those moments, and it's always like in the clutch. Those are like game winning threes, but they're game saving three pointers. Um, so, you know, we shouldn't forget about those things. But for the most part, if I were to just sum it up, sometimes it kind of feels like Pau Gasol, where He's putting up numbers. He's doing this. He's doing that. But is it impactful? Do we really feel his presence out there? And uh, more times than we would like to say, I think the answer has been no. Uh, hopefully when he comes back, you know, from this knee injury, who knows in the future, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that was like the sound of the future. Uh, maybe he is back, right? And, and maybe this is just a little bit of time off that he needed. So it's a mixed bag. I, I don't think I'm as down on him, though, as the majority of people tend to be. For sure. And and could it also just be the case that because of the bulk, Anthony Davis is working his way into his new body and trying to Absolutely. get more comfortable with it? Because it has paid dividends in the fact that he has been able to bang down low and be, you know, number one in points in the paint. He is shooting 52.3% at the time of this recording, which would be a Lakers career high and the highest he's shot from the field since 2017-18 with the Pelicans when he shot 53.4%. And you say on one end, obviously he's getting blocked and stuff, and he looks a bit loafing, but then you see possessions where he takes guys off the dribble and then all of a sudden does a reverse layup high off the glass that reminds you of, oh yeah, there's skilled Anthony Davis. So what is it? Is it just a pick and choose your spot sort of thing? Or is he just trying to be, trying to feel more natural and comfortable in this new skin of his? I would say there, I think there's a happy medium that he can sort of eventually get to where Maybe he should trim down a little bit again, but I do like him being stronger because, look, Anthony Davis is... We want to throw out guys like Giannis, Jokic, uh, Embiid. All of these guys are physical unicorns, but they're also unicorns because they're also different. Their body types are different. Porzingis, like, how, how injured has that guy been? Like, Giannis, to me, we can't compare anybody to him because he's more like LeBron in terms of physique and sturdiness, you know? Anthony Davis, and this is not an excuse for him, but I just think he's the type of player that, in order to gain the most out of him and stretch out the longevity of his life and career, just because of how kind of weird and disproportionate his, you know, body sort of is, sort of in a good way, you know? Like, he's called Anthony Day to Davis for a reason, right? Day to Day Davis for a reason. And I wouldn't be surprised if just subconsciously he's the type of guy who knows, like, you may say it's coasting in the regular season, but for me, it's pacing and planning. You know, so when you see inconsistent effort, is it frustrating? Yeah, objectively, it is for sure. But for him, it's like, I can't, I just physically can't, you know, 100%. I can't go 110%. I can't go Russell Westbrook, LeBron James mode. So for the time being, I'm going to be what I am. And on the default, I'm just going to be a foundational big man who is the anchor of your defense and still keeps you afloat on that end. And offensively, I'll, you know, ebb and flow here and there until until the playoffs. And we can get to, after the break, I'll give you his playoff stats and what he's typically done uh, in the playoffs versus the regular season. But it would make more sense, given the picture I'm painting here of Anthony Davis, that he's maybe just not, like, a top-five player in the regular season. And he reserves his top five playerness, top three playerness for the playoffs. And if that's the case with Anthony Davis, I kind of am okay with that. 
Now, do we have to talk about like how what that bodes for us in the future? Yeah, for sure. But in the current how things are currently constituted, and maybe I've just done enough personal paradigm shifting in my head where I'm just like, I've kind of never seen Anthony Davis as this sort of Giannis type player to begin with. You know what I mean? Like I take the positives of what he can do on both ends. And I know he's not going to get me 30 a game, even though he has had regular seasons where he's averaged 28 points, which is pretty incredible. But that was when he was literally the focal point of everything. You know, Rondo was there just literally feeding the ball, feeding him the ball every possession. And on this team, he just naturally has to take a step back and doesn't have as many possessions where he has the ball. Um, So, yeah, with that said, why don't we take it to break? And when we return, I'll talk about some of those playoff stats and just your thoughts on how how you feel moving forward with Anthony Davis, I guess. So we'll take it to the macro Anthony Davis outlook. All right, so we are back. Alan, let's talk about how you feel about moving forward with Anthony Davis as quote-unquote the guy. Like you mentioned that he sort of reminds you of Pau Gasol, and I brought up that comparison before to Tommy where I was like, maybe he is sort of just, you know, kind of this white swan that you need to awaken the black swan within from time to time. Um, And I'd almost say that he's a mixture of Pau Gasol and Lamar Odom in terms of mentality, sort of. You know what I'm saying? Um, But the fact is, what he brings that those guys don't necessarily bring Pau Gasol closer to him is that he's more of a freak physically and more of a freak athlete. Um, But I'd like to introduce to the, you know, conversation just the fact that historically, Anthony Davis, playoff, playoff Anthony Davis is real. In the same way that playoff Rondo is real, playoff AD is real. And if you look at his career playoff numbers, uh, so I'll read off Giannis and Embiid's playoff numbers just to give you a comparison point. Here's Giannis in the playoffs over his, um, I don't know how many seasons Giannis has been in the league. I think it's eight eight seasons now. He's been in the playoffs a couple times. But here are Giannis's playoff averages. 26 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 1.4 blocks, 53% from the field, 27% from three. Joel Embiid. 24 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks, 46% from the field, 32% from 3. Anthony Davis, 27 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, 1.3 steals, 2 blocks, 54% from the field, 33% from 3. And outside of those stats, I think you felt it in the playoffs, especially in the bubble. I mean, that dude brings it on both ends, and there's rarely a question when he's healthy of does he bring it in the playoffs? And if that's the type of player you're going to get in the playoffs and you have to account for the fact that he's going to have a sort of mitigated slow regular season, I'm fine with that if I know that I can count on Anthony Davis in the playoffs, if that's if it's going to extend his longevity. So what are your thoughts on that? And then you can lead us into your thoughts on, yeah, what is the, what does the outlook look like as Anthony Davis, the number one guy, or should the Lakers start planning for, well, maybe we need to account for that. He's more of a 1A number two guy. Um, Joel Embiid shooting 42% from the field is awful. <laughs> there is no way he should he be shot 46%. Shooting. But oh, yeah. Okay. For- same, same. Ah, it should still be like close to 50%. That he's he's shooting too many threes, that's for sure. And you know Charles Barkley and Shaq have some to say about that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, uh, yeah, we do. Um, so uh I'm like I'm not surprised by 80s statistics that you read off, especially given the context of how you're comparing comparing him to Giannis and to Joel Embiid. Uh, I'm surprised that his numbers are 
like that much better than theirs though um i heard you know two and a half blocks per game that's insane you know that's that's crazy and again like his blocks come on those first second third effort types of possessions they come on the perimeter too like we already talked about today um so if ad is a guy who not only does he pace himself throughout the regular season not only does he play well in the playoffs extremely well he's also clutch as hell right like that goes beyond playing well i mean do we have to talk about the Kobe, you know, three-point dagger against Denver? Do we have to, you know, all the other, like, clutch shots that he has hit? Uh, he's not afraid. That's for damn sure of the big moment. And if, you know, mental hurdles and, you know, like, demons and stuff like that that you you have to uh, kind of fight through with other star players is something that he's already proven that he he's overcome that kind of stuff, um, that should reassure Laker fans f- for sure. Um as far as in the regular season, then does that mean he's not the dominant one A, you know, type of player? He needs a one B. Maybe. Um I I wouldn't go as far because I know some people are starting to say, oh, maybe he's not even the number one option. Maybe he's your two. Maybe you you know what I mean? He's not even the one B. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I think he's a one A, one B, it's interchangeable with some other person, which I mean, isn't that kind of the template for the majority of the league and whoever wins a championship anyway? Um I, I think that and I know we're talking about like the big picture and stuff like that, but you know, once LeBron is done with the Lakers and we maybe have A D walk into that, you know, role. Obviously, like you just said, his role is going to change, though. He's not going to be in a position where he can afford to just shoot the ball five times in the first half. That's true, yeah. That's been the most freaking frustrating crap, though, right now. But what's the pecking order? Like, in terms of just personality, you've got LeBron, you've got Westbrook. So where does he kind of fall into line just naturally from a social standpoint? You know what I mean? In personality. Well, if LeBron isn't there, now, you could say, though, well, LeBron has missed a crap ton of games this year and he still didn't step up but he's like still on the team you know what I mean I I I feel like in the future long term and all that stuff if he knows he's the number one guy then he'll assume that role as such and there will not be nights where he has single digit shot attempts right uh when he needs to just be shooting the ball more so um I feel better after having this conversation <laughs> with you, even myself. I'm like, yeah, like, no, nah, we're, we're fine. Like, right now what's going on, it's kind of an anomaly. I, I think um, just like everybody else, he's figuring it out, what his role looks like on this team. Um, and I think that maybe this time where he's sitting out right now, um, like we said, this could actually do some good. I wish defensive stats were more quantifiable in terms of you could just add it on to your point total or whatever, kind of like fantasy basketball. Then you'd see the full extent of a player. And I understand that this season there have been times where he's looked loafing and slow, even on the defensive end, like could be the bulk, et cetera, et cetera. But usually when you talk about a number one player, it's always, you always look at the points total first and how much you're scoring and all that stuff. And I just feel like Anthony Davis isn't appreciated enough as a you know, two-way player, even though I, I actually think more of the emphasis should be put on his defense, right? And what he's doing defensively, how much he's rebounding. I mean, he's had double-digit rebounds for the first time this season since, you know, his Pelicans days as well. So there's clearly an uptick in kind of the periphery stats, peripheral stats. And so I'm more optimistic about the short term, less optimistic about the future. 
I I like your point about when he's forced into the center of the frame and forced to be the focal point. You'll probably see those 28-point games with that he had with the Pelicans. I just hope he has enough of a supporting cast and a really good number two guy, whether that's THT as the primary ball handler, a guy who can get his own shot off, his own dribble, because AD is clearly not that type of guy. If you want him to be that type, that type of guy, I feel like you're going to get more of the Joel Embiid sort of like, you know, teetering efficiency and, and whatnot and him settling. And I, I, I do want to caveat everything too by who knows what type of coach we have at that point as well. I, I wouldn't necessarily say Vogel, especially offensively, has put AD in the best positions to succeed, whether schematically with the players around him or even just put him in enough actions where AD is the focal point of the offense or is on the move, getting all these lobs drawn up for him that can really energize him, right? Most of the time we're just feeding it to him in the post and we're like, AD, generate your own energy, right? And it's like, ah, we don't want him to Carmelo Anthony this, but we're kind of forcing him to sometimes, you know? But who knows? What if our coach is like an offensive genius or whatever, and all of a sudden he's averaging 30 points and he's energizing himself offensively, energizing the team defensively, et cetera, et cetera. Then yeah, maybe he goes back into that number one conversation. But I, I do think we should start to maybe anticipate him being more of the Pau Gasol sort of mold and that we do need another but i mean i think pagasol was a 1a right maybe teetering yeah. onto a two um right. so if anthony davis can be that uh, i think that'll be good we just need to find the the best supporting cast and like dynamic duo next to him for the future but in the short term i'm not worried because my whole summary point for all of this is i'll be worried when anthony davis starts giving this lackadaisical effort in the playoffs so far, we haven't seen it when it's been crunch time. Have we seen it for like a game or two in the playoffs? Of course, because that's going to happen, especially if you're like up, what, 3-1 or something. It's going to happen. But in the aggregate, in the total, Anthony Davis has brought it in the playoffs each and every single time. The stats show that. The actual gameplay shows that. In the regular season, yes, it's it's frustrating. I get it. And the stats sometimes don't back up what you're seeing on court where you're like, this guy's so talented and he has the physicals or whatever to just bring it every single time out. But I don't know. The guy's just sort of wired that way. And I guess we can kind of crucify him for that. But who knows? Again, I don't know physically and structurally what goes on in that guy's body to the point where he mentally is just like, yeah, no, I, I need to coast in order to make sure that I'm 110% for the playoffs. You know, that may be a cop out, that may be an excuse, but only Anthony Davis knows for himself. So until he falters in the playoffs when healthy, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So. Uh, with that said, uh, we will leave it there and uh, we'll either end this episode or I'll take it to break. And when we return, we'll talk about the latest Lakers win. Alan, I will let you go. See you, dude. And happy right, new man. year. Happy new year too, sir. Happy feeling 2022. <laughs> Fellow Swifty, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was my my Spotify like stats on top 2%. Yeah. <laughs> Very relevant. <laughs> nice. These guys don't know that we're doing this in 2021 at all. <laughs> See ya. All right, man. Later. All right. So this is present Jonathan popping in here with the crisper sounding mic. And while we have just bid adieu to Alan Riley, we now have the pleasure of saying hello to a new podcast partner. So before we flip it to my segment talking about the more recent Lakers happenings and why I believe a stand pat approach at the trade deadline may make sense, I'd like to first talk to you guys about the Blindsided podcast. New year, new great podcast to listen to. And with the insane year that we just came out of, pandemic year two, I believe it's important to start 2022 off right with a good state of mind. And so enter the Blindsided Podcast, the Player Tribune's first ever mental health podcast. 
hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh, the Blindsided podcast will share and analyze the very moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and what happened when it did. The podcast lets listeners hear these athletes describe moments when mental health became the most important focus in their lives. The Blindsided podcast then dives in deeper. It gets clinical, and it allows listeners to leave with an understanding of the different varieties of mental health challenges people face, why they appear, and how athletes in particular face them when down. Blindsided is a sports podcast not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who just care about their mental health and want to hear from some of the most successful people in the business. This season guests include Kevin Love, Paul Bissonnette, and Kurt Warner. So join them all, clear your head, and allow for a collective empathetic therapy podcast session to fill your next hour with the Blindsided podcast. All right, so we are back, or rather I am back, solo, and apparently so is Mr. TH Sip My Tea while you waste your time on the trade machine concocting trades that will never happen. Mr. Taylor Horton Tucker is back. Off the bench last night versus the Sacramento Kings, THT had a much-needed bounce-back performance with one of his most well-rounded games of the season from every angle. Scoring, playmaking, defending, he did it all. 19 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, he shot 9 of 13 from the field, he even hit a 3-pointer, his first 3 in his last 7 games where he had previously been 0 for 16. Yikes. Granted, he was 0 for 8 from 3 in 1 game, so that made up the majority of that disgusting percentage. But still, what a welcome sight for the Lakers, and I'm sure THT himself as well, who last night he just played with a dogged spirit an intentionality that was really endearing, and it was hard not to root for him. No doubt he's probably heard all the trade rumors swirling around and all the Lakers Legacy podcast trade hypothetical videos that have been going around Twitter. But honestly, just really, really solid stuff from THT. Best of all, he looked absolutely in control on every single one of his drives last night. He played with purpose, he played like the game had slowed down for him, he was absorbing body blows, spinning in the right directions, contorting in just the right way, and best of all, finishing. So, props to THT. Next guy I want to give a shout out to is Mr. Dwight Howard. What a momentum-changing, offensive-rebounding gobble-fest by Dwight Howard last night. He was a complete beast in the limited amount of time that he was out there. 14 points, 14 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals in just 21 minutes. There was no DeAndre Jordan, so it was solely Dwight Howard as the only traditional center. Praise the Lord. It's how it should have always been this entire season, but we are finally here, better late than never. Welcome back, Dwight Howard. His energy and intensity completely flipped the Lakers' floundering defense and lackluster rebounding effort uh, over to the positive ledger. In addition to his on-court basketball play, especially now with Rajon Rondo gone, one of our championship leaders, I think just from an intangible aspect, it was important to bring Dwight Howard back into the fray here. Because Dwight's charisma, his lively personality, and just his overall morale-boosting spirit is exactly what this team needs to turn this season around and propel them through the second half of the year in what's been a pretty miserable year for the Lakers thus far. So on every level, but most importantly, the basketball court play, it was super refreshing to have Dwight Howard back, and it's clear that he's not washed. 
He just needs to be deployed with limited minutes and in short bursts. And that's exactly what we saw last night. When you need him, he'll bring the energy, a double-double in 21 minutes. Great stuff from Dwight Howard. The last guy I want to give a shout-out to is, of course, Mr. Malik Monk, Uptown Monk. Go and give it to you. So, yeah, speaking of morale-boosting spirits amidst a miserable season, what a microwave spark Malik Monk has been the last few weeks. Luckily for me, Tuesday of last week, I decided to take a swing with one of my four moves in fantasy basketball and use it on Mr. Malik Monk. Monk has been up and down all season, so even prior to making that move, I was a little apprehensive, but ever since that Brooklyn game on Christmas Day, and ever since getting consistent minutes, around 28 minutes or so, the last six or seven games, Malik Monk, lo and behold, has been the most consistent, most efficient, purest shooting, and exciting Laker to watch besides LeBron James in the last two weeks. And I have been rewarded in both reality and in fantasy by Monk's insane statistical contributions. In his last six games, Malik Monk is averaging 20.6 points, 56.5% from the field, 45% from three, hitting 3.3 threes a game. He's 90% from the line. He would be 100% if he hadn't missed those last two free throws at the end of the game versus Sacramento in that ridiculous refereeing uh, mayhem at the end there. Um, But yeah, 90% from the line. He is also averaging 1.1 blocks. Now, the blocks and effort on defense has definitely been the most surprising part outside of his insane efficiency in this short, short stretch, but it's definitely been a welcome sight, and I think the stats back up the eye test, where Monk is using his athleticism on the defensive end as well. Who would have thought? He has seven blocks in the last six games. He's really hustling out there. He's scrambling for rebounds. He's using his length and his athleticism to actually compete on the defensive end and try his best. And that's all you can really ask for uh, with a guy like Monk. And we've been saying it all this time that with a guy who has the physical abilities and athleticism that Monk has, there's no reason why if you just combine that with a requisite amount of effort and intensity on the defensive end, that he shouldn't be just a solid defender. And so 1.1 blocks from Monk, kudos to him for also bringing it on the defensive end where Given how lights out he's been shooting on the offensive end, you probably wouldn't even need to ask him for any defensive effort, but he's still bringing it on both ends. So huge, huge props to Monk. And yeah, he's just been an absolute flamethrower. He's been electric. He's been so fun to watch. His two-man game with LeBron James has been so dynamic. Him setting screens, flailing out to the three-point line, then letting the ball fly off a LeBron pass with no hesitation has been the deadliest version of a pick-your-poison play the Lakers have had since... Well, Anthony Davis and LeBron James running the pick and roll. Not to mention, Monk is attacking closeouts and using his athleticism for these insanely acrobatic finishes. That reverse up and under layup that he had the the previous game has been one of his best highlights of the year. And right now, it's just all clicking for Malik. And it's no coincidence that it's been clicking with him getting consistent minutes. And to think through the first month or so of the season, this dude was only getting like 12 to 18 minute games. As recently as the games from December 9th through the 12th, he was only getting 18 minutes. So his minutes were getting jostled back and forth. And with a guy like Malik Monk, who is a rhythm player, you just need to commit a standard 25 to 28 minutes to him nightly and live with the results. And right now the results have been exceptional and undeniable. 
We've essentially got the more exciting slam dunk version of Buddy Heald, but at $20 million cheaper. So huge props to Malik Monk, who has been the Lakers' second best player over this last two-week stretch right behind LeBron James. What an absolute steal and probably the best one-year rental in Lakers history. Um, Okay, apart from that, the GOAT LeBron James, it goes without stating, has been on his MVP level type shit the last month, and it's been absolutely breathtaking and incredible to witness. Uh, He should get some MVP consideration by the end of this season, especially as the Lakers continue to rise. Um, Westbrook had his first zero turnover game last night since, I think his first zero turnover game since 2016. Uh, We also have Kendrick Nunn's return seems to be on the horizon. Ariza started for the first time last night. Uh, We haven't seen DeAndre Jordan on the court since December 23rd. The Lakers are riding a mini three-game win streak, and things are just all slowly coming up roses for the Lakers in 2022. Fingers crossed. So with that in mind, and with Anthony Davis waiting in the wings as well, I wanted to use the last part of this episode to talk about a concept that I'm Not sure I'm personally 100% sold on yet, but it's a concept that as the Lakers begin to come into their own microball identity more and more and get healthy guys back, it's a concept that I'm beginning to more strongly entertain. And that's the concept of standing pat at the trade deadline. Or I should qualify standing relatively pat at the trade deadline and just opting to make moves on the margins, i.e. trading second rounders, cutting guys, and signing buyout market free agents. So let's get into it. What's my main rationale for wanting to stand pat, or at least seeing the virtues of standing pat at this point? Well, number one, I don't think we're going to get what we ideally want for THT right now. So whatever trades we've all concocted in our heads for THT and THT plus none, since a lot of these trades for these higher-end players who make higher salaries will likely require none to be involved as well, All those trades that we've been drumming up, I don't think are realistic right now. So no, I don't think we're getting Jeremy Grant or Miles Turner or Harrison Barnes or even Cam Reddish for THT and Kendrick Nunn. Maple Syrup Raptors Nation has made it very clear to me that we're definitely not getting even someone like Gary Trent Jr. for THT. So my point is, if we're not getting any of these guys we've been dreaming about in our heads, then who are you trading THT and none for at that point? An aging and expiring rental of Robert Covington? No, I wouldn't want that. At this current point, with THT struggling to find his role, even with his bounce-back game last night, and Kendrick Nunn still working his way back to health, we'd literally be selling THT and none at both of their lowest points. This is the definition of selling low. Given that THT can still be a contributing player to this team's win-now aspirations this season as a spark off the bench, as last night's game showed, and given none can definitely be a major part of what we want to do small ball-wise when he returns, and Frank Vogel has already said that he has a big role planned for none and he's going to get all the minutes he can get, given those two things, if the deals we're looking at right now for these two guys are looking more along the lines of Robert Covington, or a Kelly Olynyk, or insert lower-end player who may not pay dividends for you or move the needle for you right now and definitely not in the future, 
I think it's better to just see what THT and Nunn can give us for the rest of this year, while still retaining them as assets in the offseason into next year. Because at this point, I do think that Kendrick Nunn will end up taking his player option next season. Uh, So it's better to keep them now than to sell them at their lowest points. And again, even if you eventually trade them, wait till they've gained some value in this second half of the season before doing so. You'll be trading with a much clearer head in the offseason or even early next year than you would be on the fly right now without fully having seen the extent of what THT and Nunn can provide you with. Now, what if someone said, what about us just trading Nunn then? And even if you want to say, okay, well, let's see what we can get for Kendrick Nunn separately. The same logic, I believe, applies. The same logic I just used for THT applies with Kendrick Nunn. You're selling so low on a nun who hasn't even played yet that he may be more valuable to us as an actual player who gets integrated into our system than being shipped off for Tory Craig or whatever, right? And you're also giving up again on the chance that nun takes his player option next year. And at that point, I don't think it's worth it because let's say nun does take his player option next season for us. We will absolutely need him because... As we've seen from Malik Monk's rise, he will almost assuredly walk to get paid. And so unless he somehow accepts the mini MLE of $5 million that Kendrick Nunn accepted last offseason, I think Malik Monk is walking. And in that scenario, if Nunn opts into his player option next offseason, he will be our most practical and easiest way of filling the Malik Monk void. So because of all these things, even if you want to say, how about let's trade Kendrick Nunn separately and see what we can get. I I simply don't think it's worth it. And for the added fact that I think Kendrick Nunn will gain value, especially if and when he opts into his player option, because then either us or another team we trade him to next season will gain his early bird rights. And so whether it's him playing better, whether it's THT playing better, Nunn adding on that player option uh, to his deal, their value will increase by virtue of us just standing pat on them versus making a panic trade now and packaging the both of them off. Now, of course, if you can get Jeremy Grant or Miles Turner, sure, do it. But right now, I just don't see those as realistic possibilities. So that's my number one main reason why I believe standing pat at the trade deadline and just seeing what THT and Nunn can give us kind of makes sense. My second point, with the Lakers now fully embracing their offense-first microball identity, something that, again, we on this podcast have been pushing for since early November, with them embracing their microball identity, with DeAndre Jordan no longer starting and hopefully off this roster soon as we've been hearing the rumors of the Lakers trying to move off of him and Kent Bazemore, with DeAndre no longer starting and no longer hopefully on this team, uh, now having Trevor Ariza back, with the Malik Monk and Stanley Johnson revelations, things are trending in the right direction. And things seem to be solidifying on a macro-conceptual level for this team, even though they're still just eking out wins against bad opponents. So you can at the very least see the flashes and you can see the vision. The Lakers are undergoing this metamorphosis and upward trend without Anthony Davis, without Kendrick Nunn, who, again, Frank Vogel has said is going to have a huge role and get a ton of minutes when he's back, hopefully very soon. So my main point here... My second point to why I think standing pat makes sense is, and it's a little bit of a stretch, but and definitely a mental stretch, but for the Lakers to already be moving in the right direction 
And to know that we'll soon also be getting Anthony Davis and Kendrick Nunn back to build off of that momentum, it's almost like you can inceptionize your mind into treating Anthony Davis and Kendrick Nunn's return as big trade pieces that we've all of a sudden acquired out of nowhere. And literally, we'll be getting them out of nowhere. We won't have to give up anything because they're just coming back from injuries. Nunn obviously hasn't played all season, so his return will literally feel like a new acquisition. And so because of those two things, do we really need to shake things up in a substantial way by trading our only valuable assets in THT and maybe none as well when just by default, the cavalry is coming in Anthony Davis and Kendrick Nunn's return? And maybe that's all you really need to turn the corner and take this microball mayhem to the finish line. So for me, unless you can get something substantial and complimentary for THT alone, to support AD and Nunn's return, it may be better to just see what Nunn has, continue to develop THT while also repairing both of THT and Nunn's trade values, than to ship them both off or ship one of them off. So yeah, it's just a little mind meld exercise to make you embrace the notion that it's almost like we are getting some valuable pieces back at the trade deadline. We just didn't need to give up anything substantial for them. So when you look at it that way, hey, we made out at the trade deadline. Nunn and Anthony Davis are our our big prizes. Okay, so for my last reason for going the standing pad approach, and this is a much smaller, somewhat more insignificant reason, but I think it may just be nice to maintain what chemistry continuity that we have and take that to the end of the season. This team has gone through a lot this year, Now that Rajon Rondo's gone, I think it's even more important to maintain that intangible championship DNA of this team and just the guys who have been here from day one and fought through all the struggles that this whole team has gone through through this very wacky year. So I think keeping THT and Nunn, both guys who the players seem to love, who LeBron James and Anthony Davis seem to love and are invested in, I think keeping them may be good for the overall team's morale. And yeah, just keeping things status quo, keeping two young guys who everybody likes, I think may be the play here. To ship them off and bring in another major piece who will likely have a big role because, again, you traded your best assets for that person. And to have to integrate that new player midseason may be a bigger headache than what it's worth. At least Kendrick Nunn and THD have been with you all season. They know your system. They know your defensive expectations. Have they lived up to your expectations? Absolutely not. But they've at least been there. And so their integration, I feel like, will be a lot smoother. So those are my three reasons. Those are the main reasons that I have for leaning towards a standing pat at the trade deadline strategy. Or at the very least, why I understand if Rob Palenka inevitably goes that way. And it seems like he is. Now, that doesn't mean I want Palenka to do nothing, just that I think it may be best to forego bigger THT slash nun-like moves that could also jeopardize our future. And in lieu of doing that, I'm totally support now directing our focus towards more supplementary smaller moves on the margins. So what do I mean by moves on the margins? Well, first, there's obviously the buyout market. So buyout signing moves, seeing who's on the buyout market in the next month with multiple trades set to happen amongst different teams as the trade deadline approaches, teams will need to cut certain players due to roster restrictions. 
veteran guys will be more likely to ask for a buyout. Uh, veteran guys on tank teams, I should say. Uh, tank teams will also want to make room for their younger players to get more minutes, and they'll either ship their veteran players out in a trade or be a stand-up organization and work with those veteran players to move towards a buyout where they can pick their next destination. We've already seen what signing a guy like Stanley Johnson straight out of the free agency pool has done for this team, so why not continue to go that route where presumably even better names may crop up? And I think this is where Rob can use his best asset as a GM to his advantage. His wide network and contacts that he's garnered from having been an agent should come into play here. To this date, I believe Palinka's best move as a GM, outside of the various obvious moves, you know, signing LeBron James, trading for Anthony Davis, etc. His best move, in my opinion, has been signing Markeith Morris off the buyout market. So, can he work his magic in that respect once again? I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm willing to see what he can do. Leverage his contacts, leverage his experience being an agent and knowing all these different players. Right now, given the moves that he's trying to make in offloading both DeAndre Jordan and Kent Bazemore and trying to free up two or three roster spots, that is a smoke signal to me that Rob is already, Rob already knows who he wants to target. He knows which players are likely to get bought out, and he may even be encouraging those players to ask their teams for a buyout, is what I'm trying to say. So there's the buyout market. That's a supplementary move on the margin that the Lakers can do. And then they can also, kind of like what we've been hearing that Palinka's been trying to do and trying to move off from DeAndre Jordan and Kent Bazemore, they can use cash and second rounders to help facilitate those types of moves to free up roster spots. I believe the Lakers have about $4 million to give teams um, in separate trades to help incentivize those teams taking on uh, DeAndre and Kent Bazemore's salary. Um, That's according to Yazzie Goslin. Follow him on Twitter. Um, But yeah, the Lakers also have some second rounders that they can trade. Now, I would hate the thought of trading any additional draft capital in our already barren cupboard, but... As Austin Reeves has shown, he was an undrafted guy who forced his way onto the Lakers instead of getting picked in the latter rounds of the second round. Um, As Austin Reeves has shown with the Lakers, sometimes it's not the end of the world if they don't have a pick at all because undrafted free agents will force their way onto the team anyways. But regardless, again, the Lakers can use a second round pick to either trade for a super low-end veteran guy making the minimum on a tank team Or they can use that second rounder to dump DeAndre Jordan and Kent Bazemore. Uh, For example, a second rounder and DeAndre Jordan, maybe you add Wayne Ellington too, could get you Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless is only making $4 million. So their salaries combined with a second rounder, maybe you can get Mo Harkless. I'm not saying that's realistic, but it works out financially. Or again, you can use that second round pick, attach it to DeAndre Jordan, and free up a roster spot to sign another buyout guy. Um, And with regards to Wayne Ellington, who I just referenced above, he seems like he may be the odd man out, especially when Kendrick Nunn returns. And I think that Wayne Ellington could still be a very useful player to a veteran playoff team who could use his expert shooting. And... In that scenario, I feel like the Lakers may even entertain flipping Wayne Ellington for an additional second-round pick, maybe two second-rounders. And in that vein, the Lakers could take that second-round pick that they gain from the Wayne Ellington trade to whichever playoff team wants him 
and then use that second rounder to flip to another team, attach it to DeAndre Jordan or maybe even Kent Bazemore or both, and there are your two additional roster spots. And just to quickly go over the second round picks that the Lakers do have at their disposal to trade, um, first, in 2022, the Lakers don't have a first or second round pick to trade, but in 2023, they have two seconds that they can trade. So I would assume that they'll tr- they might trade one of those to offload DeAndre Jordan or Kent Bazemore. In 2024, they have a second rounder via Washington through the Russell Westbrook trade. 2025, they have a second rounder of their own. 2026, no second rounder because they traded it to the Cavs to dump JaVale. Sigh. Uh, 2027, they have their own. Uh, 2028, they have their own second round pick plus another second round pick via Washington. So the Lakers do have a slew of second round options that they can trade and some seasons here where they have two second rounders. So offloading one wouldn't be a bad idea. And again, if they just want some extra second rounders, they can trade Wayne Ellington, get a second in return, and then use that second rounder to offload DeAndre and Kent Bazemore. Point being, the Lakers, even with the limited assets that they do have at their disposal, can still make some pretty shrewd creative moves that don't entirely shift the landscape of our team or the main assets in THT and Kendrick Nunn that we do have in such a huge way. And instead, they can help fortify and bolster the edges to the point where we're still helping our win-now objectives this season, but also, more importantly, maintaining our flexibility our assets, and continuity heading into next year by keeping a guy like THT and hopefully keeping none if he takes his player option. So yeah, with that said, that's kind of my rationale for why I think the Lakers standing pat and avoiding any big moves, i.e. trading THT, trading THT and none, or even trading none, kind of makes sense in my eyes. So we'll see where everything shakes out. I mean, it wouldn't also wouldn't surprise me if Rob goes for the blockbuster move once again, but I think given the way that season's gone, given we're starting to find our footing here and Kendrick Nunn and Anthony Davis just coming out of nowhere to help us out, that may be the quote-unquote trade that we need. Um, that may be all we need for the rest of this season. But if there's an opportunity to improve given LeBron's short Um, win now window and how well he's been playing uh, given how murky the west has been this year it also wouldn't surprise me if Rob just goes all in anyways so just throwing out the options there doing our due diligence and yeah with that said we will catch you guys next time please follow us on twitter at lakers legacy pod please also rate interview us five stars on the apple podcast app next week i hope to have either tommy or alan or both back and We'll get back to our normal coverage of this Lakers team, and I'll just say, it's starting to get very litty. All right, with that said, we'll catch you guys next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.